Hello and welcome everyone. So I hope everybody had a meaningful and powerful, inspiring Yom Kippur. Now Yom Kippur has passed us, Rosh Hashanah has passed us. It's time to party. We've had a whole month of looking inward. We've had the month of Elul and Rosh Hashanah and leading up to the 10 days of repentance and finally Yom Kippur. And uh, it could have felt like it was a little intense. It was a little intense. It's the time that we you know, look to perfect ourselves and commit to do better and hopefully do teshuva from the things that we've done that we know we shouldn't have done. And now that's behind us. So what do we do now? Now we party. Now we rejoice with Hashem. Now is the time that we connect to Hashem. We're spending time to, with, with Hashem. Hashem, you know, he came here and he was close to us during the month of Elul. And this like culminated in the Yom Hadin, the Rosh Hashanah, and the Yom Kippur, but now we move forward, and now it's time to reap the benefit, so to speak. Reap the benefit of the, the introspect and all this spiritual toil, and now we could enjoy it. Now we actually be Jewish. Now that we've committed to it, this is the time to, to rejoice before Hashem. That's what the Yom Tov of Sukkot is about. It represents our you know confidence. We're, we're confident, we're hopeful that Hashem gave us a good year, and now We've committed to be better. Now let's do it. Now let's actually be a good Jew. Let's do mitzvahs. Let's connect to Hashem. So Sukkot is the holiday of Chag HaAsif. It's also referred to in the Torah. What does that mean, Chag HaAsif? It was the time when people would traditionally gather in their produce. So farmers and, and different types of industries that revolved around harvest, they would bring in their harvest. And that was the time that we be brought to the storage houses. So imagine, I guess like the equivalent of it that we could try to, I don't know, maybe relate to is most of us get paid. If you have a you know a steady job that you're getting paid from an employer, you probably get paid every other week or or something like that. If you're you know have your own business, you might have a little bit of different times of year or whatever they get paid, but it's usually pretty consistent and it's spread out throughout the year. Imagine if you got your entire yearly paycheck at once right now. That was kind of what the equivalent was. They would bring in their harvest and like, this was it. This is the time that they're getting all of this income for the year. And it was an extremely happy time of year. People were, were very, very appreciative. People were so excited. So one thing that they could have done because of that, you know, you could feel good about all your money that you've made. And that could lead to becoming a little, a little haughty or, you know, a little egotistic and thinking like, this is uh, you know, things that I brought for myself, I've worked so hard, and it could lead us to not recognize that all of the good that we have in this world is really from Hashem. I know we feel and it looks like we're working for our money, but the truth is that everything is a bracha, everything is a, is a blessing from Hashem. So we focus now on channeling this simcha, this happiness, that's what's represented by the Chag HaAsif, by rejoicing with Hashem, by, by being appreciative to Hashem, by celebrating with Hashem. So, yeah, we might not be getting our whole paycheck right now this, this week, but this is a time to focus on thanking Hashem for all the blessing that He's given us, for the livelihood that He gives us throughout the whole year. This, this is a little bit of what the theme of the celebration is. Now, another idea, I want to share another idea on Sukkot, but this is also Torah talk on Parshas Ha'azinu, so we're going to get to that in a couple minutes. But just to share another thought that I saw from Rav Hirsch on on the idea on Sukkot. 
So he says, he talks about the four species. We have the Lulavim, the Lulav, the Esrog, Hadas, Hadasim, and Aravos. And uh, he talks about how they represent different elements that are found in nature, which is a very interesting idea. So he says there's different types of elements in nature. Okay, there are some things that you can benefit from without working at all, without even touching it. Try to think, what can you benefit from without even touching? So a couple examples he gives is, first of all, smell. Smell is something you benefit without touching, and also light and ear and beauty. Beauty is something you see. You don't have to touch it. You don't have to feel it. You can see something beautiful. You benefit from light, from ear, and from smell without even touching. Okay, that's one category. So he says hadasim represent this category. They have a pleasant smell. And aravos also provide shade. The arava bush provides shade. And you don't have to do anything to benefit from shade. You just go there. You don't have to you know, process the tree in order to, to make shade. And there's other types of elements that do require human involvement. For example, if you want to benefit from the esrog, you need to go take it. You need to pluck it off the tree. You need to go and take it and bring it to you to benefit from the esrog. And the lulav as well comes from a date palm, so you can benefit from dates, but also you got to go get that date and, and harvest the date in order to, to benefit from it. So sometimes... In order to benefit from what Hashem gives us in this world, you need to harvest things. You need to process raw materials. You need to take something. So I guess in the case of just like picking a fruit, you might have to do work, but it's not an extensive process. It's just taking it. But there are also things that you need to actually process. For example, he says, uh, you know, that same arava bush or trees, you know, if you wanted to, to really use it, you need to process it. You want to use it for wood, for building materials. You want to use it to make paper or anything else. That's going to require a lot more effort. So just to like elaborate that on my own words, there's so much that Hashem gave us, but things are not necessarily immediately accessible just from nature. You don't pick it from nature. Sometimes you need human involvement to, to process these things. So in Sukkot, says Rav Hirsch, we take all these elements together and we bring them close together, and that is an act of acknowledging that everything is from Hashem. So, like, you look around, and we have, you know, we decide what we refer to as, like, a natural product, right? So we'll say that a fruit is just, you know, that's nature, right? Fruit, nature. What is a building? A building is not nature. A building is created, right? A pen. This is not nature. This is something we humans have created, it involves a whole lot of work to get, you know, to, to create this. But Reverse was saying that essentially everything is natural. Everything is from Hashem because every single product that we have ultimately comes from the materials that Hashem provided us with. Ein chadash tachas Hashemash. There's nothing new under the sun. Hashem put in our world the same thing that has always been in our world. Everything, if you think about it, okay, this pen is 100% natural. Okay, this pen is gluten-free. This phone, natural. This phone comes from the ground. A long time ago, it's gone through an insane amount of, of development and processing to, to bring it to where it is. But this is created by man with products that Hashem has given us. We've been genius. Humanity has been brilliant in inventing and learning how to utilize all kinds of things 
in order to be able to create the technology that we use. I saw recently in, in the news, I forgot what country was talking about. I, I think it was about the Russia-Ukraine war. And it was talking about like a massive shortage of, I don't know if it was computer chips or something. It was some kind of like basic product that's used in technology all over the world. And they were talking how if this conflict, again, I think it was Russia-Ukraine, maybe it was a different conflict. If this continues, they're not going to be able to have this. And what is it? Is it that these chips or whatever it is, I'm not sure if it's chips, is manufactured in Russia or Ukraine? No. It's that there's one raw ingredient in there that comes from the earth that needs to be mined that is found in that country. And therefore, they can't make it. So you're talking about the most sophisticated technology in the world, and it can't be made if we can't mine in that particular mountain to, to, to bring out these materials that we use in our technology. This comes to show. Everything's from Hashem. So I think as well on Sukkot, I'll tell you how I mix this rehearse with that first thought I was sharing about the Chag Ha'aset, how it's the time that we recognize that everything we have is from Hashem. I think it's all one and the same, and that is that we could have a hard time attributing things to Hashem because there's so many steps that happen before that. So, I mean, everybody's different, but like, let's say somebody wins the lottery. So some people will win the lottery and attribute that to Hashem. Like, whoa, like, what are the chances I won the lottery? It must be that Hashem, you know, Hashem gave me this money. This is like a gift from God. Got like an inheritance or something like, wow, this is like straight from God. But when I get a, a, a paycheck at the end of, you know, every other week from my employer, that doesn't really look like it's coming from Hashem, right? That looks like it. What do you mean? I've been working. What do you mean it came from God? I'm, I'm working 40 hours a week. So the, the message here is that everything is from Hashem. Just sometimes there's many, many steps that come in the way that make it look like this is not from Hashem, right? We, we say that the apple is God-made and the building is man-made. But really, everything is given to us through the incredible kindness and blessing of Hashem. So that's what we're doing, Sukkot. Yeah, we might not get our whole paycheck this week. We might not feel like our paycheck is from Hashem. We're going to take all these elements of nature and think about them and think about how everything really comes from Hashem. And that can be such a powerful message of Sukkot. The message of Sukkot is even when I, it doesn't look like it's from Hashem, it looks like it's from me. It looks like it's from my friend, my employer. It looks like it's from nature. It looks like it's from coincidence. Really, everything is from Hashem. That's a very, very powerful uh, Sukkot message that I that I was thinking about. All right, so let's jump into Hazino for a few minutes. Um, talk about the, the main ideas of the Parsha. So Hazino is a song that I, if you look in, in, in the Torah... It's written in this format. You see here, it has these like two columns, and that's the way a song is written in the Torah. Like, uh, for example, the Shira of Yashir that, the, that the, the Jewish people said when we left Mitzrayim is also written in these columns. This is a song. So, so I want to read for you two, two ideas about this, just from the, the art school um, commentary. So... This is the song of which Moshe spoke in the previous chapter. Okay, so previously Moshe said that, presented this idea of this song. And in this song, Moshe calls heaven and earth to bear witness to the calamities that will befall Israel if it sins, and the ultimate joy that will come with the final redemption. Since the nature of a song is to express recognition of the total harmony of creation 
It often mixes past, present, and future, for everything is revealed to the prophet as a total reality in which there is no conflict, and in which past and future events are not only in harmony but clarify one another. Thus, everything is melded as if it was all happening at the same time. Okay, so this is a very extraordinary song. We're, we're writing here, and there's all these themes, and some things had happened, and some will happen, and some are happening in the moment. But there's no concept as past, present, and future. In the, in the eyes of Hashem, there is one world, one creation, and everything is one web that fits together perfectly. And like he's saying, like, past and future events aren't in conflict with each other. They explain one another. So we're we're frozen in time. Every human being is like part of a... Imagine a movie. Imagine a, a two-hour movie. And how many uh, slides are in a two-hour movie, right? Probably hundreds of thousands. I don't know. And right now, you're a screenshot. Imagine a movie's playing, and boom, you just take a screenshot. That's us. That's our life and the glimpse of history. There's a story playing, and we only get to, to witness a tiny amount of that for however long we live. However long we live, up to, you know, whatever, 100 years, that's a tiny glimpse. 120 years. That's a tiny glimpse of, of what's happening in this story. So we, we don't have proper perspective. But of course, Hashem has proper perspective. And of course, the prophets have proper perspective. So that's what this story is. This represents really our world. Our world is things that we don't understand, things that might seem to conflict with one another, but in reality we know that Hashem knows the full story. So what is in the song? The song is the, the overwhelming majority of the Parsha is basically this song. So I don't want to get into too many details of it, but I do want to share just a basic overview of it. So uh, the Sephorno writes um, basically that there's five themes. He, he like breaks this out, down into five themes that are in this song. Okay, one... God created the world so that all nations would join in achieving his goal. When they failed to do so, and the nations did not want in on the Torah, he chose Israel for this mission. Theme one. Theme two. He gave Israel a land where they could serve him in joy and prosperity, but they ungratefully rebelled. Three. Because of this, they deserve to be destroyed, but in order to avoid a desecration of his name, Hashem was merciful and only exiled them. Four, at the end of days, they will be redeemed. Mashiach will come. And five, Moshe described the redemption and described how the enemies of Israel will be punished in the ultimate redemption. So that's a little bit of the of the words that are in there. It's incredible how, you know, a song that is 50 sentences long, less, 43 sentences long, contains within it all of history. It's its unbelievable. And of course, when we read, we're just reading the, the surface level. So that's a little bit about this, um, you know, sketch of history that is contained within this. You know, what I find interesting is that my, my understanding is the Jewish people heard this song, right? Moshe sang this song. This Torah was written. The Jewish people gave the Torah. So that means that the Jewish people who were redeemed from Mitzrayim, right? They came out of Egypt, they went through the whole process, they got the Torah, and they're probably excited about the Torah and about their Judaism and about their connection to Hashem. And I know they did sin 
you know, a whole bunch of times throughout the, the travels through the desert. But ultimately, they're about to go into the land of Israel. And now, you know what they're hearing? They're hearing essentially a prophecy that they're going to that they're going to mess up, that they're going to sin, that their time in Israel, their time in the temple is not going to last, you know, forever. And eventually they're going to sin. It's like, I don't know, it's like scary. It's like sad. They like were told about this prophecy that they are going to sin. And just some food for thought that, w- that I was thinking about. <laughs> All right, let's read one more, talk about one more idea. And again, there's parts here that I don't really understand. But uh, let's talk about it. So towards the end of the Parsha, after the song is over, so now we're at like chapter 32, the last few verses, 48 through 52. So Hashem tells Moshe, let me read the English. Hashem tells Moshe, on that very day, ascend to the Mount of Avarim at Har Nevo, Mount Nevo, which is in the land of Moab, which is before Yericho and the land of Canaan, and, oh, no, sorry, before Yericho, and see the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as its inheritance, and die on that mountain, where you will ascend to be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Har, on, on Har Hahar, and was gathered to his people. Because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Merivas Kadesh and Midbar Tzin, because you did not sanctify me among the children of Israel, for from a distance you shall see the land, but you shall not enter there into the land that I give to the children of Israel. So Hashem tells Moshe, go up to the mountain and that's where you will die. You see this land? You see this beautiful land of Israel that I will be giving to your descendants, to the children of Israel? You will not enter that land. And that theme is repeated a couple times, and even in the next portion, um, I believe in Vezos Abracha, and it's been said in the past as well, Hashem telling Moshe, go up to the mountain, look at the land. You're not going to get that. And I have trouble understanding this what the purpose of this, why Hashem had to constantly do this. I don't know if Hashem did this multiple times, told Moshe, like, look at the land and you're not going to go in there. Or it happened once and the Torah repeats it for some reason, many times, which would also need some kind of explanation. But like, to me, it, it sounds almost like, I don't know, dangling a candy in front of a child and saying, you see this candy? Uh, 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 you're not getting it. Like that, that seems like so harsh. This is the last instruction, the last commandment that Hashem is telling Moshe. Why so harsh? Why? Look, look, you're not getting that again and again and again. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. But people, uh, you know, far greater than I talk about this, and they say that it was a chesed. They say it was a chesed. Hashem was doing Moshe a kindness by at least letting him see it. I don't know. How do you, how do you feel about that? Is that that is it better to see something that you can't get, or is it better not to see it? On Yom Kippur, where I was davening, you know, there were people passing around all these types of things that you could smell, like tabak, you know, snuff, whatever, all these little things that, or besamim, some different kinds of things that have smells. So I was smelling one one after another. There was like a whole smorgasbord of them, and. Some of them were like really powerful, like really wake you up, which is wonderful. And then they passed around. Somebody had a container of coffee beans, like raw coffee beans. I opened it up. It smelled so good. And like my stomach, like 
ignited with hunger. Like before that, I don't know, I was like kind of managing. I smelled that coffee. I'm like, no, I need a coffee right now. Right, that didn't happen when I smelled, you know, whatever, like tobacco, like whatever these other things were. I didn't want that anymore. Don't give me coffee to smell. I, I'm, I want a coffee so much. I don't want to see coffee. I don't want to smell coffee. That's what I feel like. Like if you want something so much, you don't want to smell it and not be able to have it. You don't be able to look at it and not be able to have it. But I've seen the commentators say that it was a chesed, it was a kindness, that Moshe at least was able to see it. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe it's like, okay, you're going to pass on now, and, uh, you know, you're not going to get, you, you didn't accomplish everything you wanted to, but look what you're leaving behind, you know. Like, look what you're leaving behind. All of the Jewish people and the land of Israel and, and, and these beautiful things that are going to happen in the future. All right, if anybody has heard another explanation to that, that, that explains this, please reach out to me. I'd be, I'd be so excited if, to hear more insights on this. Um, could reach me at rabbi or at jacksonvillecolo.com. Um, all right, so that's that. Now, another point that's interesting here is Hashem appears to have given Moshe a commandment to die, which is really unusual. And die on the mountain. Look, Even look at the Art Scroll translation. It says, and die on the mountain where you will ascend. What does that mean? So I saw Rabbeinu Bechaya talks about this. And he says, it doesn't make sense. The grammar is, is written in the context of a commandment. Barbina Bahai says it's not possible. The Jewish um, the Jewish language, Lashana Kodesh, is a perfect language. And therefore, unlike English, okay, in English you could have words that are impossible or that you know like represent something that's impossible. In Lashana Kodesh, there will be no word for something that's impossible. And therefore, Rabina Bahai says there are two things that you will there is no such concept as grammar in Hebrew, Lashana Kodesh, that indicate a commandment because it's impossible to command what are those two examples die you can't tell somebody to die okay i mean god forbid somebody could choose to commit suicide but that's not a commandment to die dying itself is not within somebody's control and the other thing is sleep right we all know that you ever lie down in bed like okay i need to sleep right now i only got 20 minutes or whatever i need to sleep now right that never works never works you can't tell somebody to sleep you can tell them to lie down and to try to go to sleep, but you can't command them to sleep because they don't have the ability to just choose to sleep. So Rabbeinu Bechayi just says like that it can't be that this is a commandment. Even though it sounds like one, he basically just says it's not a commandment. It's just Hashem saying that you'll go up there and prepare yourself and then, you know, and then you will die. But it doesn't mean to be said like a commandment. And uh, the last thing uh, that I saw in that I want to share in Rashi is that Hashem added a very interesting point here. He says, in Musbahar, you'll die and you'll be gathered to your people. Like your brother Aaron dies. What does that mean, like your brother Aaron dies? So Rashi explains that Aaron died with a Misa Neshika, a kiss of death, that he just laid down and then he was his soul just went up to Hashem. And, that's, and when that happened, Moshe said, praised is the one who, who dies in such a way. And then ultimately, his, that like, you know, kind of request that he liked that was fulfilled. And Moshe also had the, the Misa Neshika, just a quick, painless, easy separation uh, between body and soul. All right, that's a little bit about Hasino. Um, the plan is to have a Torah talk as well on Vezosa Bracha, which I'm going to release on Cholam So you can keep an eye out for, for a video that I'll put out. Hopefully talk a little bit about 
Simchas Torah beer as well. In the meantime, everybody should have an amazing Yom Tov. Enjoy it. Party. This is the time to just be with Hashem, to love our Judaism, to love the mitzvahs that we could do. Hashem is wrapped around us in the sukkah. We take the, the Dalit Minim. We have so much opportunity for mitzvah here. So everybody should have an amazing Yom Tov. Enjoy it. And uh, hopefully we'll do a video on Chalmud.